You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Cannon Cast, a Columbus Blue Jackets podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, PD. I'm the manager over at the Cannon. Visit jacketscannon.com for more of our written content and to talk with other Blue Jackets fans. I am joined today by Dale Bloom. Dale, how is your July going so far? It's going well, except for the fact that we're now in hockey dead season where it seems like nothing happens for, you know, six to eight weeks and we all just sit around waiting. But summer, summer's fun. Yeah, so yeah, we've been wondering if the Jackets are going to make a few more moves, clear out some roster backlog, but there's been not a lot happening. I wasn't sure what to talk about today, so I put out the call for questions. We got a great response uh, in the comments at JacketsCannon.com, on Twitter at CBJCannon. Got some great questions here, so we are going to go through those now. Let's jump right into it. Um, Speaking of the, the whole... What should the Jackets be doing here? Uh, Bobcat Mike, uh, math dictates that we'll have to move a body or two once everyone comes off IR. And that's before Yurichek or Fantilli are in the mix. Do you think it's more likely Yarmo makes a couple low-key moves like Bemstrom or Bernie or tries for a bigger splash? Uh, and there was also a question similar to this on Twitter from 
CBJ Ray, who says, does Yarmo bundle some of our extra players like Rosovic, Bean, Bemmer, or others for another center? So uh, answer those questions how you feel fit. Do you think we've got this other move happening yet before training camp? I mean, I think Yarmo has pretty much said that that uh, he wants to make moves. Um, you know, there's a plethora of um, NHL caliber talent and one-way contracts um, that there's just there's too many, and I think that they would love to make a mu- make a move. The salary cap is going to make it really difficult. Um, you know, maybe maybe they can they do some sort of dollar for dollar move. Um, where, you know, you can ship out three players and maybe bring, bring one guy back that, you know, has a $6 million price tag. Um, you know, even if it's a, a dead contract for one season, maybe, or something, um, you know, maybe get an asset, maybe a draft pick in return. Um, it's going to be, you're going to have difficulty finding a trade partner. If you're going to ship out more cash than you're bringing back in right now. Um, there's only a few teams in the league. The blue jackets are one of them that have cap space. Um, heading into to next season, um, they would probably love to find a center. Um, I think at this point, it's it's probably more likely than not that they go into the season um, kind of the way that they are right now. Um, maybe put a couple guys on waivers, um, hoping that somebody will pick them up. Um, or, you know, worst case, get buried in Cleveland. Um, but I think it's going to be difficult. It's the way that the, the league is right now. Yeah, and I I also don't think that they should be targeting a center necessarily. Like, if there was a situation where you could move, like, Roswick and maybe one other piece to Calgary for Elias Lindholm as a rental, you know, I would consider that. Um, But that's not going to work for Calgary. That's not going to work for Lindholm. They're going to want to have a extension worked out so that calorie can get a bigger return. And that's not going to be worth it for us, both in terms of what to give up and just in terms of who you're going to block. I think the path forward for this team is Fantilli, Sillinger, Voronkov. Like those guys need to be your future up the middle. And I don't see the point in overpaying for someone who's just going to block those guys and is going to be overpaid as a depth player several years down the road. So I, I really don't think that's worth it. Um, I think at this point, just given that so few teams have space available, like you said, and I don't know that there's a lot of value to us taking on more money just to move some pieces. Uh, so I think we're going to get pennies of the dollar for these guys. I also don't expect much to happen here before camp. I think our best shot is that, um, if there are injuries on other teams during the preseason, that we can move someone then to fill a role for a team that has an opening that they need to get filled with some guy that has some NHL experience or whatever. I think that's our, our shot there. Otherwise I think we just have to go into the season with this numbers issue. And as you said, expose some guys to waivers. I think again, given the cap situation that a lot more guys will clear than maybe we think. Um, And it's not going to be great parking that money down in Cleveland, but I think that's just, I think that might be what, we're yeah, I think the this point Yarma could potentially pull a rabbit out of the hat. You know, I, I think it's the the most the least likely scenario. Um, you know, maybe <laughs> that you could chip out a couple assets for an upgrade. Um, you know, let's say hypothetically somebody like Will, William Nylander becomes available, um, and the Jackets can trade for him. You're shipping out multiple pieces, assets that um, you know 
just throw something on there like uh like Jenner and Chinikov or something um to, to bring in an upgraded player uh, I'm not not saying that particular scenario but um, those would be the other kind of moves I think Yarmo could could look at if anything long term um you know like you said it wouldn't shock me if he brought somebody in short term for a year or two um, while some of these young guys develop um but you're certainly not not bringing in somebody that's long term um I'd be really there's a lot of Lindholm you mentioned Lindholm there's a lot of talk on Twitter about Lindholm I would be shocked um if they traded for him um and it's just not it's not a need for this team to sign sign a, a, a 28 29 year old for for eight years right now right yeah, which we kind of already did with David Severson, so we don't need another move like that at a different yeah. position. Um, speaking of defense, uh, Sad Ohio Sports Fan asks, how do you feel about Juracek possibly getting another year in Cleveland? If he doesn't beat out Boquist, there isn't any room for him. Severson and 4x4 are lineup locks. I don't hate the idea. Most of his off-production came on the first power play. Probably wouldn't get much 5-on-4 time with the CBJ. So what do you think about that? Do you think that your check should spend some more time in Cleveland? I think it's certainly possible. I, I, it's hard to say right now, which way that it goes. Um, the, the NHL players on the roster right now, it's, you know, you have Rinsky, Boquist, Severson, Provorov, um, Gabranson, um, the left side is pretty open, but as far as the right side goes, it's full. Um, yeah. you're knocking some, but you're going to knock a good Branson out, which isn't going to happen. You're going to knock a Bocust out. I think, I feel like the only way that happens if he is, if he's traded, um, you know, so, you know, there's certainly a, a, a very good chance. He at least starts the season in Cleveland. Maybe he comes up if there's an injury, um, uh, maybe there's a mid season trade, um, that brings him up, but, um, Maybe he separates himself in camp. He didn't look out of place when he played last year. Mm -hmm. um, there were times that he struggled. Um, you could see the raw talent. Um, but I just don't – it's hard to say that he's going to be ready. I, he certainly could, but um, it, it would not shock me if he started in Cleveland. I hope that he doesn't have to start in Cleveland. I – I think the upside is so huge with this player. And I think the fact that he spent most of last season in Cleveland, he has, he's done his time there. I think it was good for him, but I also think he showed what he had to there. I don't think that he necessarily gains anything more from more time in Cleveland. I think he needs to be honing his game now at the NHL level. And because I like him so much as a player, I think I'm pretty optimistic that he can play his way onto the roster in camp and through the preseason. I think he can separate himself and show that this guy is an NHL player. So if you want, if you're trying to put together the best defense that you can, it's going to have to include him on there and then you figure out the other spots, but he's going to earn his way onto the roster. I think if he doesn't make it just because of, contract status for other guys or seniority. Uh, I think that's a shame. And I think that is, that's not the way I want to build a team. I want to have the best players on there, regardless of their age, regardless of their experience. And I think that he is already going to be one of the best options that we have there. So again, 
it's certainly like you said, it's it's possible that he goes to Cleveland because of the roster crunch. I think he's going to make it very, very difficult for them to do that. Yeah, you know, the frustrating thing, we, we've said this a million times, so I won't talk about it too much, but you know, you have good Branson sitting there on the third pair. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he could easily push push good Branson out. Um, and who knows, maybe Babcock surpri- Babcock surprises us and says no, <laughs> good Branson's starting in the press box. Um because Iracek, Boquist, um, Blankenberg, Severson, you've got too many guys that are better. Um, you know, so maybe that's that's something that, that surprises us and happens. Yeah, no, you know, I, I think that uh a tough veteran like Branson there very much seems like a Babcock guy. Now I do think that Babcock might will, you know, I could see him limiting his minutes more than Larson did. Um, but I think he's gonna want him in the lineup, but it'd be nice if he, if he wasn't, but I am also intrigued with Babcock just to be bringing in a new set of eyes on this roster. He's not going to have any preconceived biases about these players. And I think that is going to be a positive thing for this organization because they might be overvaluing or undervaluing some guys and, and Babcock can maybe be a correction on that. So here's a question Uh, for you. Let's, let's say theoretically year check does make the, the roster and it pushes Bokefist out, right? So the right side, you've got, you've got Severson, good Branson and your check. Mm-hmm. Do you trade Bokefist to the highest bidder or do you sit on him, keep him in the press box, you know, play him when there's injuries and just see what the next summer holds. Um, you know, maybe they do if, you know, good Branson, maybe he has a bad season and they do decide to, um, to buy him out next summer um, that opens up a spot uh, maybe some 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 sort of other trade it's hard to hold on to an asset like that because you know he is a valuable yeah. asset yeah and, and i worry that if you if you have bocus as a spare guy if he's in your press box or whatever that it lowers his trade value um, whereas i think if we're going to trade Boquist, i want to do it sooner rather than later where it looks like, hey, you know, we don't want to trade this guy, but, you know, if you're willing to pay the price for him, you know, you can have him. Um, I don't want it to be where it's like, oh, we're trading him because we have to trade him. We don't have a spot for him. Um, that's not going to, we're not going to get good enough value for him. And I don't, it, we could be at the point that we don't get fair value for him anyway, but I think we get even lower value for him if he's not playing regularly for us um that's why i'd much rather have good branson sitting and boquist even playing third line minutes and then you trade him from that position so at least there's something closer to value there and it i i really feel like boquist still has high upside i still think he could be a very very good player and fit a role for this team but there's just enough other options at this point and I think he has so much more value in a trade than someone like Jake Bean or Andrew Peak or even Nick Blankenberg do. So I think that combination of he has that value, that upside, and we've got, you know, Yurachek and Severson that would be ahead of him on the depth chart for the long term. That's why that I think that's a good way to trade from a position of strength and a position of depth to fill a different role somewhere, whether it's giving us cap space or collecting draft picks or other assets or whatever, uh, that would make sense to trade Boquist in that scenario. 
All right. In line with what we've been saying, is it too early to think of line combinations? And I will say, no, it's not too early. We had an article <laughs> it's last never week too early. This, uh, went through that. Yeah. Um, and so I'll, I'll link down the description. It's, it's a good breakdown of how the lines could be. But I was thinking about this question today, and there's a lot of ways you can move around the individual lines and stuff. So I think it might be more helpful to think of it in terms of tiers. And I think this is, can also help us to think about which players fit on the roster at all or not. So like, for example, when you're looking at the top six and the wing positions, you know, Line A and Goudreau are locks there. And based on what we saw last year, Kent Johnson and Kirill Marchenko probably are. So, and you can put those guys in any combination, but that's probably your top four wingers. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. And then <laughs> if you look at like the set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then if you look at our center depth, you've got, you know, Jenner and Rosovic as incumbent top six centers, but then you've got Adam Fantilli in the mix. You've got Cole Sillinger in the mix, Dmitry Voronkov. Uh, and then, you you know, Crowley probably fourth line, but those other guys in some combination could be your centers. And then the ones that aren't, a center can probably fill in at wing somewhere in the bottom six. And then if you look at the other bottom six wing things, you've got Bemstrom, Texier, Foodie, Robinson, Olivier, Danforth. I'm probably forgetting some others, but then that you realize, okay, you're kind of running into a numbers game, but I think you need to think of it in terms of these are the players in each tier of the position that we're looking at when it comes to defense, top four defense, you know, you've got Wierenski, Provorov, Severson, Set the fourth spot, probably Yurichek or Boquist. Third pair, you know, you've got Branson on the right, most likely. So then on the left side, do you move over one of Yurichek or Boquist to their offside? Do you move Peeker Blankenberg to the offside? Do you put Jake Bean back in there or a guy like, uh, you know, Tim Bernie, if we can sign, resign him or Jake Christensen or something like that? You know, that's, I think that's the way you sort of need to think about your tiers and then you can kind of you know, the lines and pairs kind of fall in from there just based on who's available. Yeah, I do think that the center position is, is going to be for probably one more year um, a big question mark. Uh, it's probably likely that Fantilli slots in on the wing to start the season somewhere. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, it, it, he, he could be anywhere in the – anywhere. He could be first line, he could be third line, he could be fourth line um, to start the season. Um it wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me if he if if the first line in the in game one was Fantilli with Jenner in the middle and Gaudreau on the other side. That would not shock me. Um, you know, the big question is sure. ten, ten games into the season uh, is Fantilli moving to center? Twenty games, thirty games, is he moving to center? Um, you know, and, and a lot of it depends on just how his development goes. Um, you know, he could be anywhere in the board for the whole season. He could he could have an awesome season and score sixty points, end up in the center position that wouldn't shock me maybe he struggles gets 25 points all year and plays bottom six minutes that wouldn't be the end of the world it just means that he had a slow first year and that would be fine but if that happens if he just sticks on the wing for most of the season that center position is probably still going to be iffy um mm-hmm. for the for the entire season i would think yeah that makes sense and speaking of fantilly we had a question in the comments from dan flashes what are your expectations for fantilly and what would be considered a successful rookie season for him 
both in terms of games played and position the lineup as well as goals slash points. So I mentioned this uh, um, a couple places, um, not here on the pod yet, but I wanted to to, to bring these numbers up. Um, the one thing that stands out to me, um, because it's a very good comparison, um, is Matty Beneers, or your 22-23 Calder Trophy winner. He and his post-draft year in Michigan, you know, top-line center, um, Kent Johnson on his wing, had 43 points. So 20 goals, 23 assists, and 37 games. Adam Fantilli in his pre-draft year on an arguably uh, on a, a team that's arguably not as good as the Beneers Johnson uh, Powers team. Yeah. Um, had 65 points, 30 goals, and 35 assists. Um, so Beneers now a year older, and and that is one that is most certainly worth something. Um, Beneers comes out, scores 59 points for the Kraken, first line center. They go to the playoffs. He wins the Calder Trophy. Um, and it's, it's also worth noting that Adam Fantilli Beneers are the same height. They're both six, three, yeah. um, Fantilli already has 20 pounds on Beneers. Um, <laughs> so it's, it is not out of the question that this come, this kid comes out here, blows every blue jackets record, rookie record out of the book. Um, and has a 60, 70 point season, especially if you're playing with guys like line A Goudreau. Um, that would not shock me. But like I said a minute ago, it also would not shock me if he comes out, has a typical rookie season where he struggles a little bit, maybe 30, 40 points. Um, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, but the expectations are high for this kid. And he yeah. he certainly seems like um, he's going to be able to handle it. You know, his personality, the way he talks, the way he carries himself. Everybody says he's a he's a hard worker. So you can see him, you know, having a having a great year. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I would say my metrics for him would not be so much about the total points or whatever. It's I would want to see the trend line going up for him in terms of his comfort as an NHLer and his role on the team. Uh, I think about a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who at the start of his rookie season, he was a fourth-line winger. And then a couple weeks later, they moved him to the center and he started to take off. And so then they moved him up to top line. Uh, first, you know, first line center and, you know, between Panarin and Anderson and it, it clicked right away. And so if, you know, it takes easing Fantilli into it like that, that's cool. If, you know, he's playing bigger minutes as the season goes on. Um, and I know that there's, we also need to remember that yeah, as a young kid, there's going to be growing pains. He's going to have his hot streaks and his cold streaks and, and it's going to be kind of a, it's not going to be a straight line. It's there's going to be some ups and downs, but if the trend line is going up, uh, that's the thing that I'm looking for. Uh, the player that I was looking for as a comparison was Jack Hughes, who was the number one overall pick in 2019. And I feel like a lot of the pre-draft projections for Fantilli were indicating that, you know, if he were in some of these past classes, even including that one, he would be in the mix there, even with like Jack Hughes for top of that particular class. And Jack Hughes played right away it is post-draft year and uh he had 21 points in 61 games that year now that was the season that was cut short because of COVID started but you know he was kind of and he was playing like just under 16 minutes a game kind of an underwhelming season for a guy that was the number one overall pick you know he wasn't having this generational talent kind of year uh next year you know only a 56 game season but he played all the games 
had like 31 points. Improvement, but still, you know, whatever. Uh, then the, the next year, finally full season, but he only played 49 games, had an injury, but he had over 50 points. So he was already hitting that, you know, point per game mark in year three. And then this last season was year four. He had 99 points, only missed four games, was playing almost 20 minutes a night. So I think, you know, for Fantilli to reach his ceiling, it's going to take several years from now. We can't expect that right away. Uh, but I think he can be, he can take on that, like Beneers, he can be that number one center now, but then it'll be three, four years down the line that he could be in the mix for a top player in the league, you know, one of the top 10 centers in the league or whatever. So um, I'm not expecting the world from him yet. I just want to see him grow into that role. And based on what Babcock did with Austin Matthews in Austin Matthews first year, he put a lot on him, you know, and by the end of the year, I mean, he had the highest average ice time among forwards. He had put up a bunch of points. Um, so he had earned Babcock's trust. So I'm hoping that, Fantilli can do the same thing here. And, you know, Jack Hughes is like listed at 5'11. So he was a smaller guy. He had to grow into his body too. Whereas Fantilli is really already built like an NHLer, which most 18 year olds can't are. Yeah, he's a big boy. He's physical. He's going to throw his body around. <laughs> That's going to be the exciting part, I think, is um, you're going to see a kid that is going to give 110% every single night. Um, yeah. He's going to be physical. I mean, you watch some of these clips of him at Michigan. He he does not shy away from throwing punches, even, you know, when you're not <laughs> supposed to in, in college, um, you know, and he's going to, he's going to fit right in. Even if he doesn't produce points, he's going to be an instant fan favorite. Yeah. Um, you know, his birthday is opening night. Uh, it's just, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I'm really looking forward to him. And speaking of another young player, uh, Brandon Strong asks us, does Marchenko get 40 goals? What? Okay. What line is he, what line is he on? Is my is my uh, question that I'll that I'll answer that with. Um, listen, it's it's possible. Um, what was his? Uh, what, what, what pace was he at last year? Uh, he was at a twenty eight twenty nine goal pace over an eighty two game season. In a in a, in his rookie year. Um, yeah, I I feel like Marchenko is a guy that. Um, if he had been on a better team, that he, he probably could have pushed for the goal um, last year. Um, you know, 59 points, that might have been hard to get to, but it, I think he probably could have passed 30 goals if he had played 82 games for a better team. Um, listen, if he ends up on the first line with Goudreau um, and, six, and sticks there for most of the season, why not? Especially the, we, the way that the league has been going, there's been tons of 30, 40 goal scores uh, more than there was, you know, 15 years ago. 10 years ago. Um, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. So side note on the whole rookie of the year thing. Uh, it makes me so mad that Marchenko only got one vote in the Calder race. And it was from Aaron Port's line. I mean, credit to Porty for giving him, I think he gave him a third place vote or whatever, but like, really that was the only ballot he made it. And I'm not saying that anyone should vote him first place for rookie of the year. But given that he was second in goals among rookies, despite having only played like uh, two thirds of the season, like, come on, come on. He deserved a lot more attention for that. But I think 
a lot of these awards, and especially Calder, I think it's one where the early narratives set in and voters just go with that. Like who was the guy that was the best one for the first two months? And then they don't bother paying attention for the last four months of the season, especially if it's players on bad teams. And that's something that really, really annoys me. So I just have to get on my soapbox about that. Now, for Marcheco, my, my instinct, though, is to pump the brakes a bit because in Jackets history, there have only been three times where a player has scored 40 or more goals. Nash did it twice. Cam Atkinson did it once. Now, that really doesn't have any effect on this. These are unrelated uh, events or whatever. Um, and as you said, scoring's going up. Uh, so I don't expect 40 from Marchenko this season. Could Marchenko score 40 in a season at some point in his career here? Uh, based on what we've seen so far, I think that is very, very possible. I would love to see that. And let's be frank here. To score 40 goals, you need a center that can move his feet and can yeah. distribute the puck. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say whatever you want to say about Boone Jenner. Boone Jenner is <laughs> not that guy. Yeah. Um, so it's going to depend a lot on who he's playing with. Can they establish the center position? If they're, if they're, you know, sending Jack Rosovic up and down the, the, uh, the center position again this season, um, and they can't establish, um, you know, a, a solid um, roster down the middle, nobody's hitting 40 goals. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, except yeah. for maybe Johnny Gaudreau. fingers crossed uh dark and stormy asked who is the first 2024 rfa signed and what will be what will the term in aav be and he lists the names here alexander texier creel marchenko kent johnson cole sillinger igor chinnikov jake bean which of those guys do you think will be first because all of them are eligible now for extensions uh but who who do you think uh, gets extended first man that's a really good question yeah, right. Now I, I thought like we can do process of elimination. Like it's not gonna be Jake Bean. I don't even know that he would get he'll get re-signed next summer anyway. I think he might get dealt before then or or whatever. Um I don't think of in terms of guys that would be eligible for early ones, I don't think they're gonna sign Texier early because I think they just wanna see is he gonna stick around? Is he I think he needs to get a feel too, whether he wants to stick around now that he's back in the fold, uh, Cole Sillinger, like Aaron Pornslide mentioned over the weekend, you know, after coming off an awful season, he's not going to want to sign anything. Now he's going to want to wait and see if he can put together another good season. Um, I think probably the same thing for Chinikov, see if he could stay healthy. Um, I think Barchenko and Johnson, I think the team's going to want to see, can they replicate the good start that they had to their careers? Um, I think with all these guys too, I wouldn't be in a rush to sign if I was their agent, I would say go into the season, let's see how things go, try to improve, and then let's get a feel next summer for what exactly the cap the cap's supposed to go up by a lot, they're saying, but let's find out what the actual number is and then decide where to go from there. I also think, you know, as much as I would love to have, like if I had to pick one guy to sign long-term of, these, of this group, I, it would be Kent Johnson. I think he's got the most versatility. I think he's got the most upside. Um, he could be a really, really elite playmaker, I think. Um, so if he wants to sign like eight by eight, I would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, but if I can hire an agent for any of these guys, I think I would go for a bridge deal off of their ELC next summer. And my thinking is this one, you don't know who the GM is going to be next summer. Cause Yarmo's only got two years left in this deal. 
if things go sideways this season, he could be done at the end of the season with a year left on his contract. That's possible. So you don't know who's going to be holding that contract. Uh, you don't know how much the cap's going up. Also, in a few years down the line, enough contracts come off the books here in Columbus, like Jenner, Corrali, Goodbranson, Provorov, etc., that once those things are off the books, there's a lot more money to throw around, and the cap will be up by so much three, four years down the line. So I think take your bridge deal to that point and then cash in when you're still 23, 24, et cetera. Yeah. And a lot of these, you know, all of these guys mentioned don't have a ton of experience um, in the NHL. It's not like they're, they're on three years, a third year of the NHL, they're a proven player and they've been consistent. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if I had, if I was forced to answer the question, I would probably say Marchenko. Okay. Um, you know, if he comes out and just continues to have, uh, you know, he plays at a 25, 30 goal pace, you know, maybe February rolls, or February rolls around and he signs an extension. But it would not shock me if we got to April 1st and none of those guys had signed any extensions. Um, like you said, all of these guys, they're looking to have the best season they can have. Um, and the team, too, the team's going to want to see, yep. uh, you know, where they sit at in the middle of the summer, too. Um, how much is the cap going to go up? What are the comparables? Um, it's just, it's a really touchy situation across the league right now. Yeah. And, and again, the Babcock factor too, because we don't know which of these guys are going to fit with his system or not. It's possible that any yeah. of them are, are are not, are not the right fit. And it's just not going to be the yeah. right thing long-term. Um, Listen, Chinikov could start off in Cleveland. Yeah, he could. And again, I don't want him to, but you mm-hmm. look at those numbers there and I, I, I could, I'd be comfortable throwing him in the top four, but which wing do you bump down? I don't know that I want to bump down Marchenko or Johnson. Um, but, you know, do you have a, a third line that is also capable of scoring? Do you have, you know, Texier Chinikov on the third line with, like, Cylinder to East Cylinder back in? Like, that's a, actually a line that could be pretty good. I actually mm-hmm. wouldn't mind seeing that. Um, so, yeah, Ed, I just think training camp and preseason is going to be so exciting because there's going to be so many battles for position. A new coach to impress, getting fresh eyes on it. Uh, it's going to be some brutal competition, and I think uh, the cream is going to rise to the top. It's going to be super, super fun. You know how some of these preseason games, you get into the middle of the preseason schedule, and the, sometimes the roster, you look at it and you go, ah, oh, there's just maybe one guy that's yeah. going out on this in this game that I want to watch. That's not going to be the case this nope. preseason. There's so many guys on both offense, on you know forward and defense, yeah, um, that are going to be fighting for spots. So every single preseason game, there's going to be guys out there that that you're going to want to want to keep an eye on. And, and the goalies too. That's and also goalies, something to yeah. keep an eye on. I think we know who the goalies are going to be, but we want to see which version of them shows yeah. up. All right. So these have been a bunch of great questions today. Thank you for everyone for for submitting them. But I wanted to end with a second question from Maria, which was, "What is your favorite summer activity, not sports related?" Oh man. I recently got a smoker. Nice. And I've been enjoying doing that. Um, so I've done some ribs and, and some pork, uh, some pork butt and um, some chicken. And so that's been my hobby this summer. <laughs> um, but we spend a lot of time outside hiking, um, you know, doing things uh, outside. What about you, PD? Yeah, well, uh, as you can, you know, tell by my complexion, I'm not much of an outdoor cat. Um <laughs> They, the, it's been so hot for me and you get the allergies and stuff. Uh, now I do, I do enjoy cookout 
Uh, I think food that comes off the grill or the smoker is is better. I'm not adept at that myself, um, and I don't have the capacity here in my apartment to do that kind of cooking. But going over to like my dad's or my friend's house and have them cook stuff up, you know, a burger right off the grill is just that's impeccable. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, I like taking my dog to the dog park, uh, Sayada Audubon Park. There off Whittier has a a new dog park that opened last year, and it's really nice and it's gotten to the point where every weekend morning, late morning, my dog knows that it's time to go to the park. <laughs> so he will start pacing and like gesturing towards the garage door like he wants to go. That's awesome. So that's always fun. And he, yeah, lots of things for him to run around and sniff and dogs to hump and all that. And it's a uh, you know, beautiful shot of the skyline. So, uh, but I do say there's also still a lot of sports stuff I enjoy. Uh, recently, I went to a baseball game at Huntington Park. I always love seeing the Clippers play. Uh, I got to Lower.com Field for my first uh, crew game at that stadium, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Had a great time. So uh, there's a lot of other sports options in Columbus still in the summer that I enjoy as well. I, you, I, I just you can't beat live baseball. It doesn't matter what teams are playing, what level of baseball it is. It's just such a relaxing sport to just go grab a hot dog and a beer, just sit back and enjoy it. With the pitch clock, you're done in like two hours. It's I, I, You can't beat that. Are they doing that in the AAA too? Yeah, they've actually had that for, for several years now. And so that's why when there's talk about you know MLB adopting it, I'm like, yes, absolutely, 100%. I mean, last summer I was at a couple different AAA games. There was one that was like a, a 10-6 score like that in nine innings and was done in two hours, 15, 15 minutes. <laughs> And another game that like went to 10 innings, but it was still done in just a hair over two hours. Like this is the pitch clock rule is fantastic. It, the games move so much better that way. I'm going to have to check that out. You know, it's been several years. I've been wanting to get to a Nashville sounds game. Yeah. Here, and I just haven't done it yet. Um, Nashville, um, Nashville SC also has a new stadium, uh, very similar to, to lower.com field. Yeah. Um, I've been wanting to get there too. So, you know, maybe I'll suck it up and, and do one of those things here soon. I, th- I think you got to do it. You got to do it, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us, Dale. Thanks again to everyone for the questions. We really appreciate it. And hopefully that we'll have some news to break. We'll be back in the pod. If, if that's the case, if not, well, we'll see you in a couple weeks, maybe answer some more questions and hopefully try to figure out this whole roster situation. Also stay tuned on the site. Cause later this week, I'll be posting the poll for this year's top 25 under 25. This is a thing I love doing this every year. I think there's going to be a lot of changes to the rankings this year. I'm excited to see who moves up, who moves down, all that. So uh, keep an eye out on the site later this week because I'll have that poll posted so uh, all of our readers and listeners can vote in that. It's going to be very exciting. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. For more content from the Canon, check out JacketsCanon.com or follow us on Twitter at CBJCanon. If you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts our theme music is the song green eyes by angela pearly and the howland moons angela's new album turn me loose is out now go to angelaperly.com for more music and show dates